1: This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members.
0: VIP stands for Very Important People, and their small monthly contributions
1: ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you.
0: If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information.
1: I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. This issue, four great minds combine to discuss the pop culture of the day. rating tombs, poolin' deads, the BPRD, and much, much more. Plus, Brian Clevenger drops by to talk Atomic Robo and all things cool and all like that. Plus, don't miss out on the kick-butt poll of the week featuring the best in one-on-one renting action. And get ready to answer the hard questions. Who is Kaiser Soze? Where is Carmen San Diego? What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? We probably won't answer them, but nevertheless, the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air.
0: Welcome to the Major Spoilers podcast, issue six six four.
1: So glad the that you're here of with us. Beast.
0: Well, it's more like the next door neighbor to the neighbor of the beast.
1: Actually, okay, it would be to if, the beast. If, if
0: they're if you're thinking uh, right actual you know, street a, numbering.
1: mine ends with a four. My neighbor ends with a two. The three is across the street. Yeah, where the evens. evil jerks live.
0: Are evens always on the north side?
1: Um, not in Topeka, but then I live on the west side of the street.
0: There you go. Uh, so.
1: (laughs) I don't know
2: which side of the street I live on.
0: (laughs) Ashley is here this week. Matthew is here this week. (laughs) Rodrigo is here this week. I live in an
1: apartment complex. Point to where Rodrigo (laughs) is, and that's north. I don't know where that is. And then point to where I am, and that's east. And then point to Ah, where Steven is, and that's Narnia. All I know is where the freeway is, guys.
0: (laughs) Well, well, the that's... freeway
1: goes all the way around the city. That doesn't help. <laughs> it circles back on itself.
0: Sorry. There you go. Navigation. Having... <laughs> hey, you're, I, I don't know, actually. Maybe uh, I forget. What is it? The Tom's Guide? Uh, the When I was a like, younger, if you wanted to get around, you had this big, freaking thick map of like Los Angeles. That was like nope. street level view.
2: I and have an was, iPhone.
0: <laughs> well, I know that's that's so I think it's I think it's the Tom's map. I forget what it is. I but it think was this, yeah, it's
2: the Tom book or Thomas book or something like yeah, that. And
0: it was just like a page by page of nothing but streets. And you could get anywhere that you wanted to if you had that. And I used it all the time and then about a year into living in orange county my friend was like hey man i just got this thing of the gps that that goes on my boat and we can use it to track <laughs> our progress as we drive around i was like oh that's interesting cuz it's a marine gps and then it was like 2 years later then you had the gpss for your car and then now it's on your phone steven technology is wonderful steven what
1: dear friend old friend you understand that Everyone else on the podcast, with the exception of me, wasn't born when that story happened.
0: Oh, I think they were all around. I well, know Rodrigo' was around in 2000.:
1: <laughs> was, oh, was
2: b- I was born in 2000. Oh my God. I was thinking 1994,
1: 1995
2: I was born, born I was alive no, no. in both of those years, in fact. Yeah, <laughs> I got no, no. a GPS
1: then, before I got a cell phone, actually.
0: Yeah, we actually had That's, yeah, we had GPS in our car before, uh, before I got an iPhone. So there you go. Interesting There was times. a point
1: where I had a GPS in my car. It was actually worth more than my car.
0: What have we learned so far today? Well, we've learned that Matthew <laughs> and Steven are old. <laughs> and Rodrigo and can't Ashley navigate. are young.
1: Ashley and Rodrigo wisely keeps out of it all. Let Word. us
0: get to some news. Deadpool <laughs> dominates the film industry with an R-rated superhero flick. Daredevil Season 2 trailer arrives. And the Rebirth is not a reboot. Let's it's spin the wheel birth. of... Let's spin the wheel of destiny, and see where we land this week. It's going to land on one of them for sure.
1: Oh, and speaking
0: of one, it lands on Deadpool Teabags the Film Industry. So no, this weekend. does
1: not land on that.
0: It does land on that. It land on that. So this weekend, Damn it. the Deadpool movie broke all weekend <laughs> opener records for a film of this type. Uh, in the three day weekend, it brought in $134 million. I believe at the end of President's Day, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of $150 million. To kind of compare that to other films uh, kicking off a series, we've got Batman Begins only made $48 million its opening weekend, Incredible Hulk at $55 million, Thor at $65, Captain America $65, Wolverine Origins $85, Iron Man at $98 million, Spider-Man at $114 million, and Man of Steel at $116 million. That was the previous record holder. And now we have uh, Deadpool at $150 million made over the weekend for an R-rated superhero film. Nice. Uh, Ashley and I have seen it. We're not really here to talk about the movie. If you want to hear us, uh, well, me talk about it, at least we talked about it last week on Zach on film after we saw it. This is a hard R movie. So if you are thinking of taking your kids don't uh, because it's got rough language, super violence, lots of nudity, lots of sexual situations. Um, it's got Colossus puking in it. If that's something that you're into, Wait,
1: does he puke liquid or steel?
0: Uh, it's hard to see because it's right behind Deadpool when it happens. Probably
1: so. Liquid Steel.
0: But we've had a few comic book movies that are R rated. We've had, of course, Kick Ass. We had Blade. Uh, we've had The Punisher with Thomas Jane, was, um, Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider. Um, and then what was the one with um, the guy from uh, Community? Not Community. Um, the guy that was tripping out had some mental problem and it wasn't like based on a comic book.
2: Oh. Oh, um, the super.
0: The super. Max, defense, defense? No, I think it was oh, the super. I thought,
2: I thought you meant that Max Landis thing.
0: No, no. it's
1: Rain. I think he's talking about Rain Range. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah,
0: the Super. Um, those are all r rated movies. Deadpool though is a little bit different because it's I think actually, well, maybe not compared to Blade, but compared to Punisher and some of these others, actually quite good. And because it was able to bring in $150 million over the weekend, it's probably going to have some repercussions in superhero movies.
1: Probably not the good ones either. Well, mm. so
0: here, here's the thing. a uh, Toy Fair just wrapped up this weekend. And at the, I forget which booth it was, they handed out some information regarding the upcoming toys for the next Wolverine movie. And down at the bottom of that, it said anticipated rating R. Which... Is not a super surprise because in before, I think the previous Wolverine movie had to court between an R and a PG-13.
2: Yes, and the DVD or Blu-ray, I believe, has the rated R cut on as well.
0: Yes, it does. And so, um, what does this mean? Are are we going to start seeing more R-rated superhero movies coming out? I mean, Wolverine, when we had the discussion on Friday, seems to be one that seems fairly likely to be R-rated. But then Scott Johnson mentioned on Monday, hey, what about Lobo from D.C.?
2: I think we're a
1: long way from a Lobo movie, personally.
2: (laughs) Oh, wow, sure.
1: I think, well, and, you know, we saw this previously. When Guardians of the Galaxy came out, everybody was suddenly trying to greenlight things that were fun and wacky and retro and specifically played into, you know, 70s pop music. I think that, yes, we are going to see more R-rated movies but I'm worried that we're going to see R-rated movies that are not R-rated m- movies because of a need of the creator or the material, but because Deadpool did it successfully. So, you know, my my worry is that we're going to get like an R-rated version of DuckTales or, you know, an R-rated version of the Powerpuff Girls, something that isn't necessarily material conducive to the R-rating. That said... I expected Guardians of the Galaxy to be a, a you know a, a smashing thing of a weirdness, and I didn't know if it was going to succeed. I didn't know if Deadpool was going to succeed. So maybe there's something to the expectation that there is a market for an R-rated superhero film. I think there certainly is. The question is, when you court that audience, are you alienating an even bigger audience? So. Well, Rodrigo, uh. I think
0: we've we've kind of seen that, right? I mean, uh, even before the movie was released, there was a woman who was trying to get a petition going because she wanted her eight-year-old son to see this. And they're like, please re-edit this down to PG-13, which means I could take my eight-year-old son, which, again, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Eight and 13, that's about a five-year difference, according to my maths. Uh, but, of course, as an R-rated movie, she, as the parent, could let in. She could take her kid to see that R-rated movie if she wanted. So mm-hmm. Matthew brings up this question, Rodrigo, as now that it's happened, have we, have we opened up the floodgates and will we start seeing this all over the place with properties that probably don't need to be R rated?
3: Well, not necessarily. I mean, it could certainly happen. Um, definitely. Um, you can, you could start seeing studio meddling now in the opposite direction for what we've seen before, you know, before we've had movies that should have been R rated, like maybe the Wolverine spinoffs spawn, Mm. things like that. Um, that ended up being PG-13, um, and probably should have would have benefited from being R-rated movies. I think, personally, what Deadpool success tells us is that we are right on schedule. Um, you know, superhero movies um, exploded. You know, uh, you know, uh, several years ago. And now we're getting to the point where the exploration of the genre takes us right to Deadpool. The interesting thing about this genre is that um, there's a huge amount of source material to draw from, right? You, they're like, oh, let's make like a wacky killer guy. Well, that's Deadpool. It's like if they wanted to make, be like, okay, well, we want to market something specifically only to like pretty, pretty princess type girls. There's actually a handful of superheroes that you can do that with. Let's target this specifically to like aging comic book nerds. Let's target this specifically to housewives. Let's target this. I mean, you can find a superhero that fits that niche, and Deadpool is at the right place at the right time as the genre continues to expand. Um, in a lot of ways, we're coming back around. It used to be you could not make a superhero a straight superhero movie, right? You had to make something like Mystery Man. You had to do something like... um, The Specials. The Specials. You know, that sort of thing. You know, in a lot of ways, those movies kind of paved the way, at least special effects-wise, to our modern superhero movies. There were like those tryouts for what you could do with superheroes while still being like, (laughs) but it's a joke. It's a joke, you guys, because superhero movies are stupid and they never work until they did. Now, it's getting to the point where we can actually circle back around and have a straight but funny superhero movie.
0: Ashley, do you think the success of Deadpool this past weekend is because of the weekend that it came out when there was not really a whole lot else in the theater, or is this kind of a reaction to the, I don't want to say saccharin filled superhero movies that we've had before, but the super toned down, uh, superheroes that we've had recently where nobody dies. Yeah, there's some cool explosions, but everybody lives. Is, Is this kind of a reaction to that? Do you think?
2: Uh, I don't think so because this movie has been in the works for 11 plus years before Marvel really became the thing that it is. I do think that The Weeknd had an awful lot to do with it because if you put that movie out against Civil War or even Batman v. Superman, which is going to be much less saccharine, um, I mean, just going by the trailers, Deadpool does nothing. Deadpool fails um, if you put it up against those two things. I don't – I think that we should take its success as – Okay, we have now made it culturally acceptable to do a rated R superhero movie even though they've been doing that and been doing it successfully for more than 10 years. Right. Um and I think that the thing about it is that you know, studios are going to look at it and it's runaway success and that's great and there are definitely lessons to be taken from that. My concern lies with the fact that I think they're going to be like, "Oh, this is full of um how do I say this politely poo jokes and anatomy jokes and uh you know stuff like that which I think would be very out of place on a different character and that's Mm going to be what we're left with we're gonna be left with characters who you know who make the brown pants joke um instead of trying to make you know tell a really dark um brutal story with a character like Wolverine like Cable like Punisher on an although the Deadpool uh, the uh, Daredevil trailer you know well, that's what <laughs> I was makes go, me that's feel a little bit better. <laughs> what, if you think
0: about it, what is uh, what is Daredevil rated on Netflix? Is it M.A.?
2: Uh, I have no I think idea. I, yeah. Things get rated on Netflix. <laughs> yeah,
0: they do. They actually have to put a rating on there because it's going through a television box kind of thing. But I believe mm-hmm. it's mature audience and it is super violent. And I can see from the violence that we saw in Blade where you're getting vampires getting their heads decapitated and blood shooting everywhere or in Punisher where they're just putting holes through people left and right. Uh, that you can have a a movie that has violence in it that isn't uh, toned down and kind of can sometimes show the brutality of a fight like this, like what we've seen in uh, Daredevil. Um, But I'm kind of like you, the dick and fart joke kind of mentality. I'm hoping Hollywood is not taking away from this, uh, from this movie and saying, hey, we need more dick and fart jokes in our movies because that's what people want. And that's what I don't want to see. And I think, I don't know... uh, There was nudity in this movie, both on the the guy side and the girl side, and I thought that was handled well. It wasn't exploitative, I don't think. Um, I think you could continue to do something like that in movies where it was appropriate to have those things happen, providing that it helped move the story along. And and if you earned an R rating from that, I think that would be okay. But I have a feeling that Tuesday morning, when everyone came back from the long weekend— the first thing they were doing is, what kind of movies do we have in production that we can Deadpoolize, or what movies can we start making that we can turn into R-rated? Because this is obviously where the money's at.
2: Well, it sure. was like Todd, Todd McFarlane at Todd Fair, uh, Todd Toy Fair. Oh my God, was talking up his <laughs> Todd, Fair. Uh, Todd Fair coming <laughs> back, in in, back in
3: back in like 1999. <laughs> Toy Fair was Todd Fair. It's, it's, true. Still, a lot it's of it still, still kind is. of is, yeah.
2: Uh, but he was talking up this Spawn script that he's like, well, I wrote this and I'm going to direct it. And I was like, yeah, bro. But you've been saying that for 12 years. Like, make it or don't make it.
0: Well, but again, <laughs> that's isn't I, that I part mean, of the problem, right? I mean, the uh, the reason why they weren't able to get Deadpool made is because the studios were like, no way would this kind of material fly. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And they keep blocking it. And now maybe this does open the, the door for Spawn to be made. Rodrigo,
4: God, what are you going to say?
3: That. Oh, I, I mean, I, that's. That's basically what I was thinking, is, you know, the first Spawn movie had a lot of problems, not just the rating. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is, it, it does open the door to make movies that have, that fit somewhere with Deadpool in the Venn diagram. It allows you to make movies that are violent, like Spawn probably would be. Mm-hmm. It allows you to make movies that are, like, self-referential, like, I don't know, an ambush bug movie might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows, it basically opens everything up, not necessarily in a bad way. Now, that said, um, Star Star Wars hits it big and you get your Battlestar Galactica as in black holes, which, although have merit on their own, they, it's pretty clear that they're just, like, taking just the frosting off the cake and trying to bake something new underneath. And it doesn't have that same heart, right? Um, I Just watched The Two Towers again, because why not, right? And it's like, you think about it, like all the media that spawned from Tolkien, and it's like, what are they copying? Are they copying the um, giant, uh, or like all the character building? Are they copying the giant thorough world building and history of the world? No, they're copying elves and dwarves. Elves and dwarves arguing with each other. Well,
2: sometimes <laughs> they're just copying the giant spider as well.
3: Sure. Sometimes sure, any given thing that let's make it into a trivi a trio. Of oh, tri- tri- trilogy. Yeah. Sure. No, absolutely. And and that's the thing is, um, it, in a lot of ways, media generators are going to look at it and get not necessarily the wrong message off of it, but they're going to say, "How can we monetize on what could potentially be a fad as quickly as possible?" Or you know, something like that. Well, that's so, why I brought yeah.
0: up. Yeah, that's why I brought up Lobo because Lobo seems to be a character that's very much like Deadpool, at least from the violent, uh, dirty, gritty, dick and fart joke side. They um, should
3: just. They should just skip Lobo Lobo entirely and go for Lobo the Duck. <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, ambush bug is another one that could break that fourth. Do a lot of fourth wall breaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw in a lot of self-referential humor, which I thought Deadpool did a really good job with that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Deadpool was a, was a good movie. If you're into that kind of stuff, check it out. Don't take your kids. (laughs) But I'm just hoping that everyone has a level head coming back uh, for their, for their Tuesday meetings and uh, doesn't just say everything's going to be r from right on yeah, uh, going
3: forward that's what hollywood is known for level heads honestly you know what i'm really surprised about is that, that we haven't seen and, and this could my, maybe this will be my prediction about where this is going we haven't seen a lot of optioning of all that stuff that came out that was very similar to other properties like your um, the pit the creech you know those kinds of guys It's like it really seems like some Hollywood studios, yeah, would jump all over those guys and just keep them in their pocket, um, in case you know, because it basically, if you have the pit, it allows you to essentially make a knockoff Hulk movie that is already kind of grandfathered in. So, Mm, good point. I'm I'm actually pretty surprised that we haven't seen more of that.
0: Who was the pit? Is that image or was that over at top cow or where was that at? The
3: pit was Dale Keown,
1: uh, at image.
0: Okay. So that would probably fall on a, who knows? It could have been something that relativity was looking at before, uh, they had their issues or legendary. I would imagine one of those two studios could probably pick but something up like that.
1: Linkativity. Yeah. <laughs> sure.
0: Uh, okay. Anything else you guys want to, sh- uh, say or share about this, uh, Deadpool movie as it re- relates to others going forward.
1: I, I think it's an example of what can go right when a, uh, a, an actor specifically is really, really, really attached to the material. You know, the last good example I can think of is maybe Peter Capaldi as Doctor Who, but it's clear that Reynolds wanted to make this movie and loved this character and loved the bits and pieces of it to the point where he was willing to stick around and be a part of it, even if it was going to be a massive disaster, which you got to give him props for.
2: Well he already did the massive disaster.
1: Yeah. Well, that's called, true. Uh, what was he? Green Lantern. No, I meant X-Men no. Origins. Wolverine. X-Men
0: Origins, yeah. Where he played Wade uh, Wilson.
1: I'm standing by Green Lantern. <laughs>
0: well, you know, he did have he did have a heavy stink of poo uh, of green poo hanging over him after that movie. And uh, this seems to have redeemed him uh, quite did a you, bit.
1: Did you? Did, yeah. Did, did, yep. Right. yep. You had to, didn't
0: you? I did have to.
1: You couldn't just walk away.
0: No, I could not. Uh, Listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. If you want to check out some Deadpool uh, trade paperbacks, you can certainly click on that Amazon link, and that will take you to our Amazon uh, affiliate link, and you can buy all sorts of Deadpool stuff. You can buy some Lego stuff. If you are looking for a Lego Deadpool, there was actually a Lego Marvel superheroes. It was one of their very first lines that featured Wolverine and... It wasn't the Red Skull, which, interestingly, now in the new sets, they're calling him the Iron Skull. Um, Mm. But it featured Deadpool and Wolverine in Lego form. And if you want a uh, Deadpool minifigure, it's over there at Amazon.com. Doesn't cost you anything extra. A little bit comes back our way and allows us to do uh, really cool things like our reviews. Uh, So this week, Matthew, why don't you kick us off with The Shield? This is
4: a Dark Circle comic.
1: It is Archie Comics Dark Circle. Um, I went looking to try and find when the S.H.I.E.L.D. one came out. Because I know I reviewed it for major spoilers. Yes. uh But I I started looking for it and started calling it in May of last year. And I want to say it was at least like maybe August, September. Does that sound right? Maybe. I couldn't even find it because, well, frankly, I got distracted by something shiny. But the S.H.I.E.L.D. number two from the Dark Circle came out. This week. And.
0: Looks like October is when uh, Shield Number One came out.
1: Shield Number One came out. It was delayed, and I, I believe that there were some, some creative, I don't know if it was writing or arting or what, um, but I felt like Shield One was kind of worth the wait. When we get into the Shield Number Two, written by Adam Christopher, Chuck Wendig, art by Drew Johnson and Ray Snyder, and Al Barrio Nuevo. Well. Okay, so this issue picks up where the last issue left off. Our main character, The Shield, although she doesn't know it yet, is being hunted down by some strange, uh, shadowy, shadowy government agency. And at the same time, we are seeing the flashbacks of apparently her active in the actual time of the American Revolution, the early 1770s. So it basically gives us for the first time a shield who is actually immortal. Now, having you know seen the previous shields, I don't mm. expect this to follow their continuity. That's not a problem. I'm good with change. I can walk away from that. This issue is a little disappointing to me because it continues. First off, the mystery of who is who, which agency is good, which agency is bad. What is the actual goal? Why is the shield running around without a memory? What is it that the S.H.I.E.L.D. actually does? And it draws it out for another 25 pages without really giving us a whole lot. There is some character work in here that's interesting, but what it really breaks down to is the main character feels like kind of a standard-issue action movie hero, kind of your Jason Bourne type. And I think the expectation that it's a woman named Victoria is somehow supposed to change the fact that this all feels very, very familiar. Artistically, really well drawn. There are some excellent sequences involving swinging from a helicopter and nearly dying, which is nice, showing off the superhero-type abilities that she has. Uh, There's a point where they crash through a roof and the roof slowly collapses over four panels. That's a really interesting sequence, but it's also one that doesn't Quite work, And I think that the storytelling, that's an example of how the storytelling in this issue kind of misunderstands the point of the gutter between panels. I understand you want to tell a cinematic story, but that gutter implies the passage of time. So when you have four separate panels, you're implying that these four separate panels are taking place consecutively, theoretically, or at least, you know, something is happening to where you have four different bits of time. And a couple of times, two or three times in this issue, we get that sort of transition where it seems like they're trying to do a pan or a pull or something camera-related with the point of view of the reader that's designed to be cinematic but actually works against the comic reading experience. So by the time we get to the end of the issue, I'm a little frustrated with the plotting. I'm a little frustrated with the storytelling. And I really feel like... I still don't know two issues in what is up with the shield. Now she makes her first appearance in her shield costume. The shield costume, by the way, fabulous. There are one, two, three, four, 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 six, there are at least eight separate shields in the various continuities of Archie MLJ comics since 1940. The shield predates captain America. By the way, the original shield was the first uh, patriotic hero. Um, but this is probably the best S.H.I.E.L.D. costume, and I think that and the residual wondering how this is all going to play out is going to keep me on board with the S.H.I.E.L.D. I believe this is a four-issue arc uh, called Daughters of the Revolution that's going to give us some time and explain. So I'm going to give them at least a couple more issues to give us something, but this issue of the S.H.I.E.L.D really, really strong art. Overall, two slices of meatloaf for me, kind of a frustrating issue and one that I did not like as much as number one. And I'm hoping that they can recover from a, you know, a bobble. It's, it's one of those things that you see a lot, especially in a book that you have a four or six issue arc, you start strong, you get into that second issue and it feels like maybe we're trying to make sure it goes six issues. And that's, you know, that's the point where I think maybe editing and some pacing would have helped a lot. So that's the shield number two
3: from Archie's Dark Circle imprint.
0: Excellent. Uh, Rodrigo, flipping over to Dark Horse Comics this week from you.
3: Yes. Uh, Let's see. I got Hellboy and the BPRD 1953 Beyond the Fences number one.
1: (laughs) That's like nine titles. Wow.
3: (laughs) It is. It's got a colon and some hyphens. And it does. It's got both of those things. got it's a crazy. subjunctive it's, clause in there. You know, when you're as big as Hellboy, you can have all the punctuation you want. Get a free um, tilde. Yeah, an interpunct. You can just throw those around. Wow. Um So, yeah, this is kind of a... Um, I think this has literally been called Hellboy Year 2. Um, so, this is Hellboy um filling in kind of the or, or we're filling in kind of everything that's happened in Hellboy's life because the Hellboy series kind of took these big chunks that were kind of the major events. So in this series we see a uh, a very young Hellboy. A uh, pretty inexperienced and uh very much not uh jaded Hellboy. Uh it's it's pretty interesting um the yeah the art is great um so so basically the um it's your standard BPRD uh setup right it's like hellboy and other two agents that are normal people but pretty interesting still we have a mystery and they go and they start solving the mystery and the mystery is super creepy um the uh, end of the issue has a great kind of splash panel um, that kind of leads you to more questions rather than necessarily sorting anything out. Um, I don't know how long this arc is going to be, but I'm I'm pretty interested in it. Um, like I said, uh, this is mostly uh, Paolo Rivera on the art, I think actually exclusively. So, you know, it doesn't look like Mike Mignola's art, but... You know, everything's on model. You know, Hellboy is a very distinctive character. So no matter who draws them, you're going to get Hellboy. And, you know, there's not a lot of action in this. But uh, it looks good. You can still tell who's who. And um, it looks pretty nice. And, you know, this is all happening in, like, suburban United States in the 1950s. Uh, the cover, actually, is a um, kind of a Norman Rockwell uh take off. So it's it's kinda going for that uh, sort of um darkness in suburbia kind of thing. Which is, you know, I mean obviously if you're reading Hellboy, you're gonna get darkness in wherever they are. Um I really enjoyed it. Altogether I'd give it four slices uh, out of five. Um I think if you're a Hellboy fan, then you might as well pick this up. And it's nice because, you know, if you're like, oh boy, I'd really like to hop into some bprd stuff you really need to start pretty far in the beginning the bprd stuff is like super crazy out there right now um but this is a good kind of uh first issue uh to to get into kind of a you know start of a new arc so i'd strongly recommend it
0: is that out that's out next week right
3: that's out next week
0: okay cool so be on the lookout for that and uh ashley you've got a new book that's out this week
2: I do. I have Jonesy Number 1 written by Sam Humphreys with art by Caitlin Rose Boyle. And I have to say that I was pretty surprised that this book was written by a dude. Really? Um, It was because Jonesy is one of those Tumblr brand kind of fangirls. Um, in high school and reflecting on it. I think I tweeted this earlier. It was a lot like revisiting myself when I was in high school (laughs) because it's Valentine's Day and she hates Valentine's Day and everyone's sending carnations over this school and it's so stupid and why would you ever do that and nobody understands and you couldn't possibly want to participate but then somebody sends her a flower. So that's pretty cool. And then uh, you learn over the course of the book that she has these superpowers where she can control – who people fall in love with. And she tries to get revenge on the popular girl. uh, And actually, by the end of it, they wind up coming to a nice uh, understanding before she assaults the audience and threatens to use her powers on them. So, if you are a a Lumberjanes kind of person, if you are an Adventure Time kind of person, uh, Caitlin Rose Boyle is definitely that kind of art. That's where you're like, oh, this could be like... She could draw a Steven Universe like I, you know, I I could go for that. Um, It's very cutesy. It reads very quickly. Um, You know, it's not super deep, but it's a really fun time. Um, I enjoyed it. I think it's a miniseries. So I think there's only four issues like Lumberjanes until it gets wildly popular. Yeah. And uh, and then they'll just let you go on and on and on. And from everything that I've seen on the people that I follow on Twitter, it looks like this is kind of going in the same the same way as that like it seems very accepted um as opposed to nutmeg which tried to do the same thing and like Mm -hmm. didn't take off Mm -hmm. as much um so if you like shouty teenage girls if you like teen romance if you like really cool cartoony art that should actually be on a tv show because it's that good um jonesy's a really great story for you it was pretty much built to capture me so it won there and i am going to give it or of the Slices of the Meatloaf.
0: Excellent. Yes, that is a four-issue miniseries. Um, so hopefully it will get a little bit beyond that.
2: Yes. Cool.
0: Yeah, very cool. And that is from, I want to say, oh, Boom, from Boom Studios?
2: The wonderful Boom Studios. Yep,
0: they do a lot wow. of good stuff over
2: there. I love them.
0: All right. Uh, <laughs> for me this week, I've got a book from Dark Horse Comics, Tomb Raider Number 1. It's the uh, all-new, all-new adventures of uh, uh, Lara Croft. And this is not the Lara Croft that we remember when we were younger in the video games. This is the updated Lara Croft, who is not quite the teenager that we saw in the very first, or I shouldn't say the first, uh, it, the, uh, the rebooted Lara Croft from just a few years ago. Uh, I want to say she's probably in her mid-20s at this point in this story. Uh, she's well-known enough from her archaeology and her research. And um, she is on the hunt for a magic mushroom. Not just any magic mushroom, but a mushroom that grants immortality. Ooh. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of got a lot of cool things going for it. Uh, this is written by Mariko Tamaki, I believe is how you say the name, uh, and with um, uh, art by Philip Seve. This is really kind of a neat story. The first issue sets up like you would expect in an adventure serial. We're introduced to the main character and what her dealio is. Uh, we see her training, and so she is actually training with uh, someone who is going blind. So there's a little bit of daredevil type shenanigans going around by uh, the trainer saying, "Oh, you have to start using echolocation and um, you know figuring out how you can fight blind and that kind of stuff," uh, which maybe was the one little down part about the the sh- uh, the issue. But then we get into here's some historical stuff about this mushroom that is supposed to grant you immortality. Here's where it was listed uh, historically. We get introduced to someone who comes in and says, the professor wants you to go look for it. She refuses. That person dies. She's going to go look for it anyway. And then the bad guys enter and say, you're going to go do this for us instead. And so it sets up the big cliffhanger for the issue. And I thought it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. I was like, wow, this is much better than some of the stuff that we saw from Top Cow. I want to say it was Top Cow from about 10 years ago. Uh, I really enjoyed this a lot. And I think people who maybe are familiar with uh, Tomb Raider and want to get into a story, this might be a good jumping on point. If you're someone who's never read a comic book before, but you are a fan of the video game series, this is definitely something that you want to pick up. And uh, I'm giving it a thumbs up. I really enjoyed this a lot. I'm giving it four out of five slices of meatloaf. I thought the art was really good. I thought layouts were really good. And I really just dug how we're dumped into the world of this character. We don't need to explain a whole lot, but then we create a perfect treasure hunt setup uh, in the second half of the book. So it was very well done. So go check it out. It's out this week. Tomb Raider number one from Dark Horse Comics. So there you go. All sorts of reviews from us. Thank you, Ashley and Rodrigo and Matthew. And a whole bunch more reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. While you're over there, eh, why don't you uh, go check out our friend's tweaked audio? TweakedAudio.com yeah. is the place you want to go. Mm-hmm. They've got some really cool earbuds and other things that you might want to be checking out going forward. Oh, it looks like they just, ooh, look at this. They just introduced, the what is it called? The Hegon, H-E-G-O-N-E, Sport Earbuds. $39.95. You can, they look great. They look really soft. Here's the nice thing about tweaked audio uh, headphones. They look great. They sound great. And best of all, instead of paying the 39 bucks that they want you to pay, you can get it for 30% off when you use the checkout code Major M-A-J-O-R at tweakedaudio.com. So thank you, Tweaked Audio, for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. I have to look in uh, more into these sport earbuds. Hmm, neat and interesting. All right, the reviews are done. Shout out to Tweaked Audio is done. Let us get yeah. to the Major Spoilers poll of the oh. week.
4: So this comes
0: from our friend Silver Gray. He has the question about who is the geek rant king? Is it Max Landis or is it Kevin Smith? Now, we've uh, many of us have seen Max Landis rant on um, Superman: The Death and Return of Superman. We've seen Kevin Smith rant and talk about all things Batman and Superman before. But of the two, who is the geek rank or the geek rant (laughs) king? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, why don't we start it with you? Uh, you can answer it from either question perspective. So,
2: All right. Well, um, it took me a long time to come up with a nice answer to this. Um, so I consulted Jason Inman. Okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So I think that when Max Landis talks about things – you can tell that he has had an incredibly privileged upbringing. Mm-hmm. And I think you can tell that when he writes. um, I don't think that's interesting. And I think it doesn't make his rants very interesting. I think that Kevin Smith, while he's someone who I very much like, I kind of think he has no taste. Mm-hmm. Um, He really just kind of likes everything. Um or at least publicly. So I would like to write in Patton Oswalt Ah, based on his performance Mm. in Parks and Rec as the person whose geek rant I would like to listen to. All right. (laughs) All
0: right. Good answer. Uh, Rodrigo, what about you? Who is the geek rant king, Max Landis or Kevin Smith?
3: Well, between these two, I think I personally have heard more of Landis's rants, um, And, I I mean, I honestly, I really liked his death and return of Superman thing. Um, Sometimes he can get pretty annoying, but that one was, I I felt, was really on point. I think his thesis was strong, and all of his cool friends from Hollywood helped him make it. Um, So, you know, I'd probably give it to Landis. You know, at any given point, you can feel the fanboy love and rage at that moment when they both kind of fuse into a, you know, super <laughs> hot particle from both of these guys. Uh, but, you know, kind of uh, point for point. I, I tend to prefer uh, the way that Landis puts things together.
0: Okay. Uh, kind of going back to uh, what Ashley said, if, if Max Landis is the, uh, the, uh, fancy champagne, Kevin Smith is probably the Schlitz. he's more of the every man kind of uh, beer that you have out there, alcohol that you have out there. I kind of like Kevin Smith when he goes off on his rants because his rants come from a place of super passion uh, where he's like, I really, really love this. I wish they wouldn't have done this Uh, or he'll get off on uh, a tangent about why this really, really works. And he'll throw in the history of everything and just it's all off the top of his head. And yet he still does a really good job at presenting it in an entertaining way. Um, while I enjoyed the Death and Return of Superman stuff, his other stuff seems uh, Max Landis's stuff to me seems to be a little bit out of touch with the common man. So I'm going with uh, Kevin Smith as the Geek Rant King for my preference, which brings us to Matthew.
1: Well, here's the thing. Matthew spent many a year behind the counter of a comic book shop. Matthew cannot stand anything that comes out of Max Landis's face. I find Max Landis to be condescending. I find Max Landis to be more than a little bit misogynistic. And frankly, I think that everything that Ashley said about Max Landis is 250% true. And in fact, she soft-pedaled it more than I would. And I'm generally the one who tries to be the nicey-nice one. Chronicle was a good movie. I love Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith has made movies that I adore, and I feel like there's a whole part of me that will forever want to live in the Viewisk universe. And Mm -hmm. Silent Bob is like my totem, my, my spirit animal. If I ever grew up, Kevin Smith is the kind of grown up I want to be. That said, Kevin Smith generally needs to shut the F up. Because I have very seldom been ashamed of being a comic fan but during the first season or two of his show comic book men Mm -hmm. i had to deflect so many discussions about is this really how people who collect comic books are and my response to that was no not really that's you know reality tv they're showing off they're being schmucks but i don't like most of kevin smith's friends that are on that show and there are times when you'll watch kevin smith and he'll go off on a tangent and you'll be like okay kevin you have a valid thesis you have a grain of something really good here and then you went off on this tangent about how me and my friends would do this and do it differently and that is not an argument that is an anecdote and the plural of anecdote is not evidence. So well, I, I got him a directing job on Flash. Well, that is true. Here's the deal. <laughs> I also choose Patton Oswalt. Woo! <laughs> Simply because I feel like there's a level of self-awareness. And bear in mind, if you've ever heard me on this show before, you have to understand that self-awareness is both my kryptonite, And the thing that I try to be hyper-aware of, there is a level of self-awareness that is just glaringly missing from either of these individuals. If I had to pick one, I'd pick Kevin solely because when Kevin goes off on his tangents, there are fewer things where I have to go, this is a really, really unpleasant person who needs to learn many, many things. Instead, I just get, this is a really vaguely unpleasant person who probably ought to consider what he's smoking. So, yeah, that's, you know, my rant for the week, which ironically, you know, proves that <laughs> I am the rant king. <laughs> so, bow um, hmm, uh, before the
0: fat
1: man. Who's, I who's the should, rant king yeah. king?
4: Yes, the rant <laughs> well, king, Well, actually,
1: yes. a real rant king would be four rants whose tails have fused together right, right. in the floorboards, but that's neither here
0: nor there. Uh, Malone says if there's someone on this planet who can tell a long-winded story and still keep it interesting, it's Kevin Smith. Uh, Toronto frog says, uh, common Kevin Smith is the Uber geek and geek ranter. And Ray says, I've heard Max Landis. He doesn't stick with me the way Kevin Smith does. When I hear something from Landis later on, I think, oh, I heard this interesting tidbit. When I hear something from Smith, I think, Ooh, Kevin Smith said whatever that Kevin Smith said, fill in the blank. So, uh, looks like most of the commenters are siding with Kevin Smith. Matthew, how is the uh, major spoilers nation voting so far today as of this recording? 93%
1: 93% of the commenters are siding with Kevin Smith, 8% siding with Max Landis, which proves that math is hard and I need new glasses. So I think that Kevin probably has this one pretty handily, but again, anything can happen. If you and 50 of your friends really want to come and say Max Landis is is the shiz knight and everybody loves him.
0: Is that what people say? Please.
1: I don't know what people say. I'm quoting Aqua Teen Hunger Force (laughs) from 2003. I mean, I've never known what people say. I know what I say, and I know that when I say it enough, other people say it,
3: and they think it's cool. So, obviously, I'm still ranting. You wouldn't Uh, know. know There's there's literally someone on Tumblr, I want to say, who has the handle Framistats. Yeah. yeah, great.
2: <laughs>
0: All right, everybody, you can head over to spoilers.com, Cast your vote in the major spoilers poll of the week. Either keep the uh the pairing the same or vote 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 and flip it around uh before the poll closes next week.
1: Like All they say right. Chicago, vote early, vote often.
0: Next, we have an interesting interview with Brian Clevinger of Atomic Robo Fame. You know him also from Eight Bit Theater. He's been working in web comics and in comic books for almost 20 years now. Um I had this, I sat down with him to talk with him really to kind of look at where Atomic Robo is a year after their big announcement that they were moving everything online and how originally they had no plans on on taking Atomic Robo back to print, but obviously that's changed with IDW. So we have an interesting conversation about that and potentially some other things coming up in the Atomic Robo universe. Check out this interview. Brian Clevenger, welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You know, it has been almost a year, just over a year, Since you were last on the show with us and at that time you had just recently moved everything to the web atomic robo and everything was and that's the action scientists everybody was going to the web and you were going to do reprints through uh, IDW publishing and then all new original stories would appear on the website just over just over a year later now you've just uh, wrapped up atomic robo and the ring of fire which was fantastic. Thank you. So excited about the last page! In fact, if I remember correctly, did not the uh, like the final page of the issue arrive almost on the exact same day that the final issue arrived in print?
5: Yeah, that was a real lucky uh, coincidence. I think it was like one day off. But yeah. yeah,
0: did you guys plan that, or was like you said, was that just a happy accident?
5: No, it totally just happened that way. Oh,
0: okay. Were you were you planning for the final issue to arrive before it appeared on the website? You know, in the um, uh, in the print.
5: I think well. We did not originally when we went to the web. Mm-hmm. We did not plan to do printed issues at all, right? Uh, and then, so you know, once we had once we had it all worked out, like you know, this is the schedule we're going to keep, and here's how we're going to put stuff online when we get to the new stuff. We had all that worked out, and IDW came to us saying, "Hey, you know, let's let's print some Robo," and so that came as a big shock to us, and. uh they, so, so we, that's when we worked out the deal to do, uh, the omnibuy mm-hmm. next one's come come the number the second one comes out, uh, February 10th. 10th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Um, so then in the middle of that, they were like, well, why don't we do issues for the new stuff as well? And we were like, well, you know, that's not really, we're, we're trying to get away from issues. Uh, not that we have anything against it, but the scheduling for, you know, working with uh, diamond and getting solicits and getting stuff to the printer and so on, it just caused us a lot of headaches.
4: Mm-hmm. So like,
5: so part of moving to the web and, and a trade only, um, philosophy was just to make things easier on us. But, uh, they talked us into it. So, <laughs> um, cause they were like, well, cause we, we figured out how we could minimize how much trouble the, the schedule would be for us. Right. Uh, and it's still, it's an ongoing process. I think we, we've got a, a new system for volume 11 that would be even easier. But anyway, uh, so the, the release of the very final issue kind of, it went forward. some, it went backwards. Some, so it just kind of worked out that, uh, it, it was released right when we ended online, which was a nice touch after all.
0: Yeah. Now a year ago, that was not the plan to, to have the single issues as you said. Yeah. What was, what was the thing that IDW did that, that convinced you guys to go ahead and move, move ahead with this?
5: Uh, they said we are confident we can sell issues <laughs> and, and they did it because the, the main problem before, when it was, when all we did was uh, print, mm-hmm. and this isn't, again, you know, this isn't uh, our old publisher's fault, this isn't Diamond's fault, this is just the way that the industry works, right? right. You have to have stuff at the printer uh, in time to have it, you know, uh, in the stores at a certain time, but you need to promise the stores that you are going to have it available months and months in advance so that it's in Diamond at the right time so that they can order it. You know, it's this multi-level infrastructure you have to deal with uh, planning ahead, whatever it is, three, six months at a time. Mm-hmm. So we found ourselves uh, having to having to deal with this uh, sort of buffer between every volume. You know, we would sometimes take off a couple months. We would sometimes take off four or six months where there would be no new RoboComics in stores. Right. And obviously, you know, nobody's happy about that. The fans aren't happy about that. Retailers aren't happy about that publisher isn't happy about that we aren't happy about that because everybody's making less money that way except for the fans who just want to read more robo and thank (laughs) god for that yeah but now that we're doing stuff online as well well we now we there's still that revenue stream you know we're still putting Mm -hmm. out new content so the fans Mm -hmm. are happy uh there's still a trickle of robo content going out into the world so that you know various whether that's advertising or merchandise or whatever there's still revenue coming in from that. Mm-hmm. So now there's a lot less pressure on us to churn out issues as quickly as we would like to have them done, if that makes any sense. Oh, right. So so now it's not, you know, like if we happen to take 6 months off between uh the the last issue of volume 10 and the first issue of volume 11, that would be disastrous if you were only doing print issues, but now mm-hmm. that we have now the print issues are just part of the overall business plan. Well, that's not so bad. Yeah, and you I know, think and that gives us enough time to make sure that we have enough in the bag that we don't mm-hmm. feel so much pressure. And yeah, it's just, it's just a lot more convenient that way.
0: Now, if I remember our last conversation, you had said, and this was a year ago that you had basically had the entire script for ring of fire done at the time that you had launched, um, the website initiative. Yeah. Are in you, fact,
5: how far ahead about,
0: are, are you now?
5: Yeah. I was just about to say, uh, I have fallen slightly behind my, my, uh, my preferred buffer of having an entire volume done by the time Scott begins a new one. Uh, I am now working on the, but there's a good reason for it. Okay. Uh, a good reason that fans will like, I'm working on the very final issue of a new real science adventures that is all about the she devils from before oh, we cool. first saw them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm also working on the very final issue of the next volume, uh, volume 11.
0: Okay, cool. So what is your, what is your time schedule? What kind of, uh, deadline do you put on yourself to get a quote-unquote issue done uh,
5: for, uh just one issue I, you know it really depends sometimes it can when it comes to robo it can be belted out in a week or a month It because uh, there's so much research involved in all of them mm-hmm. uh both for like science or and sci-fi stuff and historical stuff and uh sometimes that comes really quickly sometimes i get led down various rabbit holes and you because know, because even if it's stuff that doesn't end up in the volume, it ends up in the vault of ideas for you know where to put these ideas uh, you know elsewhere in the series uh-huh so it's never I don't I never feel like it's time wasted, but some again it, so it can be like two to four or even six weeks there, it's there's really no uh, set uh, time when it comes to Robo
0: okay now you you said uh, the the she Devils was coming up in the next science uh, real science adventures which mm-hmm. over at realscienceadventures.com um what are we looking at with the she devils what will they be doing will this still be set in uh world war 2 pacific time or is this a modern time
5: no this is uh so we, when we last when we last and first saw the she devils <laughs> it was what was it 1951 yeah. or 52 something like that mm-hmm. so this is a little bit before that this will be like in in the same sense that uh, the fifth volume of Atomic Robo is not Robo's origin story, but it is the story of his first big adventure mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, Tesla and Edison and, and all that stuff. This is a sort of this is similar. It's not the origin of the She Devils, but it is their first really big adventure.
0: Okay, cool. I, you know, I've got to I've got to tell you this is the weirdest thing. Um, oh. the. It's- It's going to be strange. Well, I don't know how strange it is because this goes back into what you were saying a moment ago about putting a lot of research into your Atomic Robo stories. So the Knights of the Golden Circle storyline that you had. Right. I, you know, I just thought, oh, that's a, that's a story, you know, just a cool title. Yeah. I was listening to a history podcast a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about the Knights of the Golden Circle. (laughs) Yep. And this whole Money is spread throughout the United States, hidden in these secret caches so that the yep. uh, the South can rise again and all that stuff. And I yep. was just like, what? It just <laughs> kind of blew my mind. I mean, uh, because I don't remember too much of that part being into uh, the story. Uh, no,
5: there's. Well, yeah. If we can diverge and talk about volume nine for yeah. a bit. Yeah. There, there was a lot of drafts of that one. That was the hardest one to write because we had. There's so much going on, uh, whether or not it's even apparent to the reader. You know, we have to balance screen time with uh, Bass Reeves and uh, um, Doc Holliday. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was one draft where we were going to have Annie Oakley in there, and this was – how Annie Oakley kind of originally gets hooked up with, with Tesla because you know, uh-huh. through Robo, mm-hmm. like he sends like he was gonna send her the the note or, or the the package with his head mm-hmm. to Tesla, and then that's how they meet, and that's how the centurions of science get kick started. There was there I mean lots, lots of different drafts. But the problem was is that there was just so much happening, you know, and we only have hundred and ten pages to work with.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, so in in one of these drafts, or probably in several, but anyway. We went a little bit more into detail about how exactly the Knights of the golden circle um tied in directly with what uh caldwell was doing
4: mm-hmm. uh
5: and we get a few notes of that still it's it's very you know it's one thing that we do with robo uh, that i i think we do it pretty well we we sprinkle uh, stuff in there and it it rewards independent. Research and reading, and, or or as you just did, stumbling upon it on, on some other source, and you realize, yeah, yeah. Well, wait, I thought that was just some crazy thing these guys made up. <laughs> right, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this a little more, and then you and then you see there's some connections. Um, but at one point, Caldwell, or or it's made, uh, someone makes a reference. They imply that Caldwell's father was one of the knights of the Golden Circle, really mm. heavily involved, and that's where uh, the butchers came from, uh, the butcher boys came from. Okay. Uh, and then what called what. Caldwell and his father did really. This is where we diverge from history. Uh, the only time
0: we diverge. From oh, history. sure, because time traveling right. robots is.
5: Yeah, I mean that, That's obvious. That's <laughs> in your history books. Look it up. But uh, so what? What in history? It's this really pathetic group, right? It's just right, these right. these losers who can't get over the fact that the South is not going to rise again. Blah blah blah. So, but we figured it'd be a lot more interesting if it's this because it is essentially this sort of attempted an insurgency and what is that if not a conspiracy and what is a conspiracy if not you know that's very it just reminded me a lot of say organized crime the mafia you know how that got or Mm -hmm. how it really took hold in america you know thanks to uh, the the profits from prohibition so i thought well what if these guys were a little bit more organized and but in a way that made it look like you know historically they just kind of disintegrated what if in fact they were the first organized crime ring in america and instead of being centered on, like, say, the East Coast and spreading westward. What if they were in the, you know, in the West where it is essentially lawless, uh, or at least compared to the East, where so they would have a lot more room and a lot more space and a lot more just opportunity to uh, exploit people and resources and build mm-hmm. up this army. And then what if on top of that, Helsinggard comes along and uh, part of Helsinggard's shtick uh, that we've uh, made a few references to here and there. Is that he does have this sort of worldwide network of um, cells, or, 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 mm-hmm. or um, yeah, just you know, doing various um, jobs for him. So, what if he co-ops this whole, uh, you know, from the Mississippi to the to the Pacific, this network of uh, organized crime, and uses that as his own per, uh, personal army for his attempt to uh, take over the U.S. So, yeah, it was. We, There were some drafts where we get more explicit about that, but there just wasn't room for it, you know, in in light of what that story needed to accomplish. Those facts were just uh, the icing on the cake. And so we had Mm -hmm. to kind of scrape off some.
0: Yeah. Do you ever I mean, on the website and I'm a patron Patreon uh, member of atomic robo and what you guys do. But uh, have you guys ever thought about, you know, taking the script that had this extra content and putting it online for people to compare? Well, you've read the you've read what? we finally released here's what went into it
5: or anything like that uh we have thought about it i think a better solution uh for us would be to use some of that material because there's uh, there's still room within the setting to explore some of that stuff uh in other stories right like mm-hmm. we can like if, if you recall the way that um uh Nights of the Golden Circle ends. We have the sort of government agents right. find the wreckage, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, uh, so maybe there's something there. You know, we can tell an interesting story through those guys or uh, through their department, and we can get we can inform the reader a bit more directly about Knights of the Golden Circle and, and you know what they were up to in, in our setting. Yeah,
0: it's it was fantastic. And then the just the end. And it's not spoiling too much. I mean, Atomic Robo is running out of power at the end of Volume Nine. He can really only save his head and uh, does a great way of essentially resurrecting Atomic Robo for the modern age for volume 10. And it also gave Scott uh, Wegner a chance to kind of reimagine uh, Robo's body as well. Mm -hmm. And I I really like how you guys did that.
5: Uh, Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. uh, Volume 10, uh, I think it began in, in the with Scott's uh, desire to just draw Robo as wrecked as possible. And then, mm-hmm. uh, never I, I, like the way that it was originally discussed between the two of us. We realized, we, we didn't realize it until we finished the conversation, but like Robo was not fully recognizably human and, or humanoid until the last issue. Like up until that, he was a head in a box or mm-hmm. a head on wheels you know, or hooked up to a battery or there was like a, a tea cart. That was motorized at one point, Yeah, like just really pathetic, you know, because, because that'd be funny, you know, it's a lot of funny visuals, but then, you, see, you know, and, and we had a lot of fun, you know, spitballing that, that concepts. But then once you start really thinking about how to tell a story like this, you know, readers are not going to like robo being like that for that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if, even if we pull it off, even if it's just really entertaining, it's going to be hard to draw him into panels where he's only two feet tall, right? Yeah, yeah. He has to share space with other characters having a conversation. So we get a little bit of that, but we kind of sped through it in, I, th- I think it's like two or three issues. But by the time we get him to a point where he's a bit more humanoid, a bit more, you know, uh, mobile and motile and able to fend for himself. Yeah. But, but yeah, that was a lot of fun for Scott to to design these different evolutionary stages of, of robo if you will
0: the other thing that again we've talked about this before but the other thing that i think is fantastic and, and volumes nine and ten are a perfect example of this volume nine you're telling this old west classic shoot 'em up tale and then yeah. volume 10 it's like bring on the giant rubber monsters and let's <laughs> yeah. uh you know let's let's just beat the crap out of tokyo and stuff and I, I like that you're able to jump from topics and times, science fiction and real uh, science, and, and mix that all together. I think that's one of the things that attracts me the most uh, to this series. And I, I'm guessing a lot of other fans as well.
5: Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's it's a big part of why there are, you know, upcoming 11 volumes. Um, it keeps us interested. You know, there's never mm-hmm. any time, just, just about when we get done with the volume, we're like, we're really ready to, to do something different, you know, change the tone or to change the setting or whatever, there's always going to be that recognizable robo tone to it, but it's going to be variations on that tone. You know, there's always going to be that humor. There's always going to, always going to be that, that action, that adventure, but every one is, is very distinctly its own thing. You know, like, as you said, volume nine reads very differently from volume 10 and mm-hmm. they both read very differently from eight or seven or six, or,
4: mm-hmm.
5: you know, in the, in six and 10, uh, you know, the one with Alan and the one with, uh, uh, ultra that we just finished. You know, those are very similar, very conspiratorial, right. very big action. But even those two are very different, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what can we expect in atomic robo? And what is it? The title of odd or Ood?
5: Uh, I think it's odd. We're going, okay. we're going to say odd and then maybe okay. I'll just catch on and we can say that was, that's real and official. Okay. Um, so yeah, this one takes us back to, it, it, this one takes place almost immediately after, uh, the very first issue. Ah, uh, Okay. Uh, from the from volume one uh so robo you know he he did that mission for the united states military uh so we catch up with him literally as his return plane is landing him you know back at the base that he had to go to to you know do with this mission and it is essentially the story of what the next mission is going to be uh and he did not agree to do a next mission so so there there it is
3: wow
0: and when are we expecting this to arrive I
5: think it's going to be March. I think it's going to be late March. Okay. So uh, the until print th- issue, the print issue will be up later in 2016. Okay. Um, as part of our, uh, you know, like we discussed before, mm-hmm. our way of figuring out how to produce content without killing ourselves on, on print deadlines. But uh, right, yeah, the, the web version will be up, in, I believe it's going to be late March.
0: So, and in the meantime, you're running some of the. Um the previous material, I think today we saw one final bit from. Um, oh, I forget which which one this was. Uh,
5: uh, that was City of Skulls. Ah, right, right.
0: And so, are you just going to do that until the next one comes up, or is there going to be a holding pattern, or what do you have planned in between
5: volumes? Uh, we're doing one more mini story like that. They're four or five pager,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and
5: then uh, it's also going to be an older story that has been in print before, but not online, I don't believe. And then after that, we're doing. An all-new story. Oh, okay. Uh, This one will be 12 pages long with art by Tessa Stone. Very Mm -hmm. accomplished uh, web Mm -hmm. artist and and some print stuff. And um, then after that, I think that's when the first issue of the next volume pops up.
0: Ah, cool. And so what, I mean... Moving completely to the web, this was the whole new business model. How's the response been? Have have you had the traffic and the response that you thought you were going to get out of this? Has this been somewhat successful or would you like to see it grow more? I mean, obviously, we'd all like to see it grow more.
5: Yeah. You, you know, the, the nature of online traffic is that it's never enough no matter what it is. <laughs> right, right. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's worked out very well. Uh, you know, Patreon is doing better than we ever imagined. Um, advertised revenue is, you know, we're happy with it. Um Yeah. Fan response has been great. Uh, we're, you know, we're switching back from half pages every single day to full pages every Monday, Wednesday and Friday.
0: What was the decision behind that? Because I found that very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because when you're reading the print issue, you can, if you've seen the online version, you kind of know where that split is on the page Mm -hmm. and you can see where that kind of formatting. And that's not just with yours. I mean, this is with DC and what they do with their online initiative and those kinds of things. Um, but what was the decision to go from the half page to the, um, to the full page?
5: Uh, you know, it was, it was complicated. There was a, a lot of, we never heard fan, a fan reaction that was positive. We mm. didn't hear, It's not to say it was only negative. I, I think the closest thing, you know, we, either it was people saying that, you know, it was negative, like, Oh, it's confusing or Oh, I feel it slows down the pacing a lot. I can, I can see that I would personally, if I were reading it and if I found that to be an issue, I would just wait until the end of the week and blaze through, you know, seven, yeah. page, seven yeah. half and, pages.
0: And honestly, that's what I did. A lot of times i yeah. wait until the end of the week or two weeks <laughs> and then uh, check it out. But I know at the end of volume 10, I was like, Oh, I got to check it every day. I got to check it every day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there'd be times where I'd just blast through a, a whole bunch of yeah. it at once.
5: Well, cause when, when I read it online, because you know, I'm uploading these things myself. So, you know, it behooves me to look at it to make sure it turned out all right. I felt that it was kind of slow. And then when I read the issue, I was like, you know, cause they send us comps and I'm like, Oh mm-hmm. wow. That just, died. it took like one minute to read all this. Oh, like, right, not right. that I felt like cheated, but mm-hmm. I was like, where's the rest? You know, cause the volume 10 is so tense, you know, from mm-hmm. the get go. So yeah, they read very differently. Um, but also, uh, I, I just write toward a full page, and I think that w- that certainly played in with the perception that the half page uh, felt confusing or slow, right? Because there's mm-hmm. not really, like Scott would do, uh, you know, a heroic job on finding a good way to make that split happen in, in a logical way. But it was it, it was still artificial, you know. And right. I, still, I feel that artificiality does come across. There's only so much you can do to hide that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I thought it was nicely done. I mean, there were times where. You know, obviously, if this were reading as a full page, it would read you know very smoothly. But the yeah. way that that Scott did it is that you'd hit the top half of the page, the bottom of the top half of the page, and there would be a natural kind of cliffhanger in the middle yeah. of that page. No, that, yeah, he
5: did uh, print it up.
0: Yeah, reading it on the web made perfect sense, and then when you read it in print, I thought it also made perfect sense too. It yeah. doesn't. It didn't feel like a you know a herky jerky uh, method of reading. Now that's just me,
5: but. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that as well, but. Yeah. I mean, I I could see the. I don't know. The, I I can just see how reading it in the half page because sometimes you know, I think people were forgetting that we updated on the weekend as well. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. they were they thought that they were more confused than they were. Like if you just hit back, you'll you'll see where you were. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know. You know, the the full page, uh, especially on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sort of thing, that's very traditional for a web comic. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit more again and I'm I'm writing toward that full page so I feel like it's going to be a more um, more satisfying chunk of narrative you know every mm-hmm. time you you see an update mm-hmm. so we'll see okay. you know I mean it's always it's always a process
0: are you also planning for the temple of Odd to encompass an entire year kind of like what we did with the um uh what is it fire of the pacific or I keep forgetting the
5: name of it but uh, <laughs> uh, volume ring 10 of fire. ring of fire uh yeah I think it will take about that long
0: okay so good stuff. I mean, it's updating three times a week mm-hmm. with a full page. I mean, that's you're getting a entire issue over the course of a month. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, a pretty good deal, I think, for most people. Um, what else is going on with Atomic Robo? I, I noticed that the Fate system is updating uh, again. They they've got a Kickstarter going on right now, and it includes some of the uh, Atomic Robo Fate system stuff from uh, what is yeah it, the Hat-
5: yeah, the Evil Hat folks are doing a Kickstarter right now. It'll probably be over by the time this comes out because uh, it's in like the final day oh, or yeah, two yeah.
4: Now. Mm-hmm. Uh
5: But it's going, I think this program or this campaign is specifically aimed at printing some stuff that has only been available uh, digitally or has not yet been made available in any way.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, among that later, latter category is the new Atomic Robo um, supplement for our game. Uh, this one is all about Majestic 12. Um, primarily focused on the era uh, just prior to and during the whole Ultra thing in Volume 10. Uh, but okay. the way the rules are stretch- structured, you could play as Majestic or a similar sort of, you know, super conspiracy thing in, in any era of uh, Atomic Robo.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm looking at the page right now. It's 23 hours to go as of this recording. So, oh, geez, yeah, it's been blessed. it's been over by a week and they are 600 percent above their, their goal. So,
5: <laughs> yeah, they're doing all right. Yeah. Uh,
0: But are we going to see any more Atomic Robo stuff for gaming systems or are we going to see the Atomic Robo video game? Are we going to see, you know, what what do you have in the plans?
5: We always hope for a video game, but nobody (laughs) comes to us for it. The fools. I know, Uh, right?
0: Well, here's the thing I was thinking today, and I don't know, and I, I know you guys don't probably want to talk about stuff that may be in the works, but Atomic Robo, the deck building game.
5: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be fantastic.
0: I I think that there's, uh, you know, decades right now are so hot and Atomic Robo lends itself perfectly.
5: No, there's so many ways you could do this. You could do this from the perspective of, you know, different uh, conspiratorial groups or different Mm -hmm. hero groups or different villain groups. You Mm -hmm. could do this. Don't get me started.
0: (laughs) So you've already thought about this then. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And uh, what about Atomic Robo, the animated movie? I know that there was a group working on that not too long ago.
5: Uh, yeah, I think they finished their thing. That should be on YouTube. Uh, okay. we're, we're talking with a different crew for maybe doing another little short, but we'll see how that goes.
0: Okay, cool. Anything else that's that's going on with Atomic Robo or real uh, action science uh, scientists
5: um, that you
0: can share or want to share? Um, I mean, you're kind was, of your own publicity department now. I mean, when you don't have to worry about... A print arm yeah. or anything like that. You guys are pretty much free to talk about whatever you want,
5: or yeah, you IDW, can I suppose. Yeah, IDW signed a contract, so they got to print us whether they want to or not. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sure there's there's got to be a loophole. That's too easy. Um, let's see what else, what else are we doing? Uh, oh yeah, so Real Science Adventures that's our other website now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got the Robo stuff that's going to start updating, or that is currently updating Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Real Science Adventures is updating Tuesday and Thursday. So you're still getting five days a week of Robo. Oh, definitely. Uh, right now, it, that is running um, the Billion Dollar Plot, which is our, uh, one of our uh, Real Science Adventures volumes from a few years ago. This one is all about Tesla and his crew and mm-hmm. fighting some evil industrialists who are trying to usurp you, the United States. Yeah, I love like uh, that
0: was, one. That was a good yeah, story. That
5: was, that was a lot of fun, to, both to write uh, and to research. Uh, and then after that, that's when we start putting up the, uh, She Devils one. And then after that, I'm not sure. I think the Kickstarter backers, they, they got to vote on what would, what the next two or three would be. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out.
0: Cool. And any other Kickstarter, any other projects you, you think of, uh, coming up on, on that front from the fundraising Uh, standpoint?
5: Yeah, we're definitely going to do a Kickstarter in 2016. Okay. Uh, I don't think I want to say what it's going to be. Yes.
0: Okay, Atomic Robo the Deck Building Game. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just I'm I'm really happy that the web initiative has been going as strong as it's been going and it doesn't look like again with realscienceadventures.com launching and um and even volume 11 getting going on atomic-robo.com. Um it looks like you guys are doing great. I mean, I feel Personally, I feel that the brand and Atomic Robo is stronger now than it was two years ago.
5: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and I think, I think what you're going to see is um, more comics going for this hybridization approach mm-hmm. you know, with an onla- a very strong online presence and a print presence. Because they do not really – the fear has always been that if you, you know, put any significant amount of material online – you know, oh, the, the fans will get it for free. They'll never want to buy it. Right. And that is that is not how it happens. You know, in our experience, as soon as we started putting stuff online, we were getting all these people who had never read Robo, Robo before. In addition, once we started printing things, all the articles, almost all the articles that were written about it online were uh, in, in the, the, the basic message was Atomic Robo's back.
4: Mm, mm -hmm. it's
5: funny because we had been online putting everything up there for free for six months.
4: Right. You know,
5: not only never went anywhere, we've never been here more. Right. The, what we've discovered, uh, is that there, these are two distinct audiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The problem with, with the comic book industry right now, or, or has been the problem for, I would say 20 years is that there's, it's so hard to get comics. Like you know, if you have a good oh, shop, yeah. that's great. But you know, there are fewer shops than ever, and you know, there's 300 million people, and there's like what uh, 1,500 shops mm-hmm. now. That's mm-hmm. that's not a good division, you know. Especially when you consider that the shop these shops must uh, be in, in population centers to have even a chance of surviving. Exactly. So what what we're doing is, or what has happened in that that sort of distribution vacuum, is that people. Seek out comics uh and they want those comics in the way that they've become accustomed, so for some people, that's piracy. we still have people pirating our print comics, wow. even though they're already available online for free, sometimes months in advance.
0: yeah see I don't understand that either because I don't get it. I don't, you know, I our, don't get our friends have been doing our friends have been doing a YouTube series which yeah. is free, and yet yeah. it's showing up on the torrents
5: yeah, like what's the what but but this 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 ties into to my point. They've become accustomed. That's how they get mm. their comics, right? Mm-hmm. That's just part of their routine. In the same way that someone, you know, like you or I, the part of the routine is going to the comic shop and buying, you know, your weekly or monthly, you know, stack. Right. This is their routine. This is what they want. Uh, and, and, again, uh, much, much better than than piracy. There's millions of people who, you know, it's their routine, their morning routine every single day. They go online, they check their RSS feeds or their mm-hmm. bookmarks, whatever it is, and they read their online comics. Mm-hmm. These audiences don't really interact with each other. They don't really detract from one another. They are separate and distinct. And you can you can target your material to all of these people simultaneously and and get revenue streams from each of them. And you're not mm-hmm. cannibalizing your own sales. You're not jeopardizing your brand or whatever. You know, you are enhancing it. And Atomic Robo is proof of that.
0: Well you have over I don't know when did Eight Bit Theater. When? How long
5: were you doing that? Oh, I was doing that. That, that, was, that ran for nine years.
0: So you've got what? Not twenty years, fifteen years of online web comic and real publishing experience. Yeah. How do how do you go and convince other companies that online yeah, distribution hey, is the thing, and that and I that you can and the, they can coexist equally?
5: It's funny because I've been making this case to them since 2002 mm-hmm. because, because back when I first started the theater, I realized, you know, I'd look at what I was doing, which is just this, you know, dinky little comic that I make myself and I would see other guys doing it. And since this was 2001 or two, they were still th- approaching it from a very print based and uh, perspective. You know, the right. internet was still sort of this no man's land in, in compared to where it is today. It was this very unknown. Uh, At least in the mainstream and I mean dozens of people come up to my table, you know, and and trying to throw money at me and these guys might get a couple people because Mm -hmm. the only people who know about their stuff are the few people who, who who maybe picked it up or saw it at the local shop. Whereas, you know, my, my crap was online. So tens of thousands of people could see it. it. Had nothing to do with quality. It had everything to do with just availability and like this. So this very early experience just clued me in. Oh, you know the future of comics is online. It's supposed to be a cheap and uh, and, and throwaway sort of media, right? But if it's a three, four, or five dollar comic, that's mm-hmm. not cheap. That's mm-hmm. not throwaway, mm-hmm. disposable. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, but that's what the internet has become for us. You know, it's, it's just you click through and, and you're done, right? So we, but but so I, I tried making this case. Uh, back in 2002 or three, and I had some numbers and I had some. Here's how you do it. You can, you know, you can put stuff online. You can run ad revenue, and you can, you know, have have people. You can print these books and pre-order them. You know, the profitable ones you keep, and the other ones, well, it's just like when an unprofitable title you have to cancel, but you didn't spend all this money on printing and right. shipping and you know and storage and all that you know, it's a much higher profit margin for the good books. And, and, Mm -hmm. and it gives you this test bit to test all these new properties and then these new ways of telling stories with the old properties. And and nobody wanted to listen because, Oh, you're just giving your comments away. We're in the, we're in the business of publishing. You know, that's, that'll kill us if we do that. You're crazy. Mm -hmm. So here we are now 20, this is 2016. So now I'm trying to prove this case by living it, by just doing it. Oh yeah. And and, you know, people are, are noticing and I, I, Suspect that it's uh, you're going to see more of this sort of thing going forward.
0: Well, I hope so, and I and I hope it's not. You know, I'm I'm glad that there are a number of of web comic uh, creators that have been doing this, you know, 15 years or more, and and new ones coming in every day. But I would really hope that more people in the industry. I think Mark Wade has kind of caught on yeah. to this a little bit
5: with Thrillbent. That yeah, hey, uh, this is a them.
0: way that we can coexist and make some great comics, and I hope more people Absolutely. do
5: it. Absolutely, and Mark Wade, I think, was the first guy from. Uh, the print world, whom I spoke to on this topic, who who got it,
0: mm-hmm.
5: who understood it. Uh, I mean, this was back in. I don't. Know, he'd been thinking about it for years, but uh, I think I was first talked to him about it in 2010, and and he understood it and he he got it. And the stuff that he didn't quite know or wasn't comfortable with, he knew that came from a place of well, I'm, it's just new to me. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't think of well, it's just a terrible idea because I don't understand it. He was like, well, I gotta I gotta do it to figure it out. And he has. He's done very well.
0: Yeah, great, Brian. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Oh no uh, problem. To, to sit down and talk with me, and maybe we'll talk hopefully sooner than a year from now. But I don't know, it's, uh, kind
5: of, it's kind of fun to do a yearly checkup.
0: Yeah, just to check in and see what's going on. I have. I cannot wait for the next Atomic Robo. And now, for our listeners, it's a perfect time to head over to atomic robocom read an entire volume, if and maybe two volumes, if you've been away from the print for a while, uh, get caught up on everything going on with Atomic Robo. The Ring of Fire is fantastic. If you like giant monsters, if you like a monster, smash them up with a little bit of uh, space adventure. I say go check that out right now. So totally agree. Yeah. All right, Brian. Thanks a lot. Have a great day and we will talk soon. All right. See you. All right. I want to thank Brian Clevenger once again for being part of the Major Spoilers podcast this week. And thank you, Ashley and Rodrigo and Matthew for everything going on uh, for joining us as well this week. Ashley, what's going on with you?
2: uh just doing this girl and supergirl reviews agent carter reviews or trucking along uh at the time of this recording i have a two-hour episode to watch so i'm looking forward to that mm-hmm. um all of those are on majorspoilers.com. Geek history your lesson this week is killer frost mm-hmm. it's a pretty great episode yeah it
0: is It's a really good episode and people can
1: follow you on twitter at
2: oh yeah at ashley v robinson <laughs> and
1: matthew what about the
0: uh, what about you what's going on with you
1: I'm kicking, I'm jumping, I'm doing my thing. I'm on lots and lots of shows for the major spoilers. Uh, somebody was like, hey, you want to be on my secret podcast? And I said, sure. And I won't tell you her name called Ashley. But here's the important thing you need to know. <laughs> if you follow me at Mighty King Cobra on the Tumblr, I guarantee you pretty girls, stupid jokes, and at least one superhero you've never heard of every single week.
0: All right. And, uh, Rodrigo, what about you?
3: Uh, well, you can, uh, if you missed it, you can now find the podcast that actually, uh, Steven and I were on, uh, we were on an episode of current geek. Um, and I got to talk a little bit about my book, the tale of tallest rabbit on it, which was pretty nice. Tom and uh, Scott are pretty nice. Um, you can find me at fearsome critter on Twitter. All
0: right. And listeners, thank you for tuning in once again this week. If you like this episode, consider becoming a Major Spoilers VIP at members.majorspoilers.com. Your small contribution helps us keep going and allows us to do fun things like this each and every week and share those conversations with you. We're going to be back next week to talk Rat Queens because we know that you love comics and we do, too. We will talk with you soon.
6: what a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. If I'm star like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine being in the Middle East with a gang Santo throwing soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Wow, 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 wow! What a major spoiler!
4: This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.